Hey everybody, welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There is a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Buckle up, because it's going to get bumpy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. Bean Town's True Crime Podcast. My name is Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to give me a call. I may not be able to help you directly, but I can certainly point you in the right direction. Also, guys, I'm excited to say that our website is now up and active at bostonconfidential.net and you can reach me there for your investigative needs or anything pertaining to the podcast. We have gotten some great story ideas on our email, so I'd like to keep those coming. So drop me a line at barry at bostonconfidential.net and we can communicate that way. I'd like a little more interaction with you guys. The podcast seems to be taken off, so I'd like to be able to bounce some ideas off the audience as well. So feel free to interact at your leisure. Okay, guys, so to get on with the podcast, today we're bringing you the tragic case of Amy Lord. This case is literally ripped from the headlines. It occurred in 2013, and it occurred in my hometown of South Boston, and it actually began probably one block from where I grew up on... Dorchester Street in South Boston, and it hits home with me now. With residents of South Boston, it's always stuck with them. So I need to give a disclaimer in this case. There's a lot of brutality and a lot of violence in this case. So if you don't like that type of show, this is not the episode for you guys. This case is an urban boogeyman story, a monster who had built up over numerous crimes to commit the ultimate crime, murder. You're going to have to buckle in on this one. It's a tough one. Guys, this is going to be the first part of two episodes. In this episode, I'm going to go over the Amy Lord murder and its aftermath. And in the second episode, I'm going to focus on the perpetrator and the police investigation that followed. So that's where we are right now. So Amy Lord was taken from this world violently on Tuesday, July 23rd, 2013. She lived on Dorchester Street in South Boston. And like I mentioned previously, it was a block from where I grew up. It was actually at the intersection of 4th Street and Dorchester Streets. If you're trying to place it, if you remember the movie The Town with Ben Affleck, The florist shop that they frequent in that movie is actually on Dorchester Street in South Boston and would have been sort of directly across the street from Amy Lord's apartment building. And the Marion Manor nursing home is also right there. So it's just before Broadway, which is the main drag of South Boston. Amy was not from South Boston, however. She was from a beautiful town in western Massachusetts called Wilbraham. And most people from Massachusetts know it as the home of Friendlies because they have a massive sign on the Mass Pike that says, Welcome to Wilbraham, home of Friendlies. So 
That's how most people in Massachusetts know Wilbraham. But it is a beautiful community and very bucolic. And Amy was an excellent student from Jump Street, and she was also very athletic. She attended, I know I'm going to butcher this, this name, Minichog Regional High School in Wilbraham. And there, in addition to her studies, she was involved in cheerleading and dance. But she was an excellent student. And at one time, she actually told a friend of hers in high school that she wanted to be a wedding planner. But I guess she needed to maintain the bills in the meantime. So she worked hard and was accepted to Bentley College, which is a terrific business school in Massachusetts. It's one of the schools that they call the three B's. And that includes Bentley, Babson, and Bryant. They call them the three B's and they all have excellent business programs. Bentley actually has its own trading room floor. So I had looked into that as an MBA program at one point, and all three of those schools are great, but very difficult to get into Bentley, and it's very expensive. So she had to have been a terrific student to get in, and she majored in some area of social media. Amy had done well at Bentley, and she was involved in intramural soccer, but it seems as though her her college years were focused on preparing for work, and she ended up getting a terrific job upon graduation, or just prior to graduation, at a place called Genuine Interactive, a social media house on Harrison Ave in Boston, downtown. Amy had moved to South Boston shortly after graduation. She graduated in 2011 and began working Genuine Interactive in Boston. She immediately made friends with people there and within the neighborhood itself, but she also had a group of friends from back home that were also kind of spread out across the state, and she maintained good contact with those people as well. So all seemed to be going well in Amy's life. She loved her job, and they loved her in return, and everything was going swimmingly. She wanted to live in the city. She found an apartment in South Boston right by the area where there's a ton of nightlife, She's probably a half a mile from the beach. And that's why a ton of young people are flocking to South Boston right now, because A, it's safe. B, there's a ton of nightlife and its proximity to downtown Boston. And we have some of the best parks and beaches in the area. I say we, I no longer live there, but I am a born and bred South Bostonian. So I do have a bit of pride for the neighborhood. So that brings us to... Tuesday, July 23rd, 2013. Amy was a go-getter, so she was up early. She was actually going to meet a friend of hers, Christina Kelleher. They attended an exercise class at HealthWorks in Boston very early morning, and they met on an MBTA transit bus just prior to 6 a.m., and they went into the health class together. On this morning, Christina does as is expected, but Amy never shows up, and she figures that Amy must have slept in and just wanted to sleep in a little bit and cancel the class. So Christina goes on with her class at HealthWorks and later goes into work. Christina Kelleher was a coworker of Amy Lord's, and that's how they had become friendly and decided to do this exercise class together. But when she didn't show up for class, an alarm bell started ringing, but 
Christina just thought it was the typical 20-something, I don't want to go exercise so early in the morning, and thought that they would catch up at work later. When that didn't happen, when Christina got into work after the exercise class and found Amy to be absent from work, she called his boyfriend, Michael Castle, and he was leaving on a business trip. He worked in the same building as his girlfriend, Amy, and was expecting, you know, a goodbye. So at this point, it went from a little alarm bell going off in Miss Kelleher's head to there is something very wrong here. Amy simply didn't miss work. She didn't call out sick, and nobody could get a hold of her on a cell phone. Amy's boyfriend, Michael Castle, and Christina soon grabbed the keys to their boss's car and headed over to South Boston to search for Amy. They stopped on the way to get the keys to Amy's apartment from her roommate. And when they got to South Boston, Amy wasn't in the apartment. And they immediately began searching the immediate area for Amy's Jeep Cherokee, which was typically parked within a couple block radius of her apartment. So the duo extended the search radius a little bit to include a larger area of South Boston, but still they had no luck in finding Amy's vehicle in the area. And now they were just frantic. At a certain point, shortly after getting to South Boston, I believe Michael alerted Amy's parents and they started worrying as well. And everybody's now calling Amy and talking amongst themselves. Have you seen Amy? Has she mentioned that fact she wasn't feeling well, had another appointment, something like that. But Everybody began panicking at this point. By 11 a.m., Amy's frantic friends and family had had enough, and they went to the Boston Police Department at Area C6 in South Boston to report Amy missing. But things would go from bad to worse pretty quickly because at approximately 8.40 a.m., Amy's Black Jeep Cherokee had been found on fire on Logan Way in the Old Harbor housing development. Sometimes there's criticism in missing person cases where the police don't act quickly enough. But to give the Boston police credit in this case, they acted very quickly on it. When they connected Amy's reported disappearance at 11 a.m. and they had already received a report on a car fire, naturally they ran Amy's motor vehicle records and that came up as the fire had just been put out maybe an hour beforehand. The vehicle was empty, but now the Boston police had a missing person and Amy and her vehicle on fire in a public housing development a few miles from her house. And Amy hadn't been at work. So the next step in this investigation, I believe, would have been to take a look at her credit cards, ATM cards and all that. And they did. And this is when everybody's worst fears were realized. And it quickly became apparent, I believe, to the police and probably to some members of Amy's family as well, that this case was not going to have a good outcome. So the Boston police began actively searching for Amy at this point because something was obviously very wrong. But where does the search begin? Like I had mentioned previously, they ran a trace on Amy's credit cards and debit cards, and something alarming stood out. Amy had taken money out of 
six different ATMs in the Metro Boston area. And at this point, detectives were dispatched to all of these locations to retrieve the videotape of the ATM cameras and whatever other cameras the bank may have outside of their businesses. I'm going to tell you exactly what they found after we come back from break. We'll get right back at it, all right? Are you a local or international law firm that needs accurate, comprehensive, and timely background investigations and litigation support? Let Impact Due Diligence Investigations do the legwork. If there's information you need for a case, we'll find it. When you need to know, call Impact. Visit us at impactduediligence.com. All right, guys, we're back. Amy, just like everybody else in the United States and probably the world, has a limit as to how much money she can take at one time from one ATM. So these withdrawals heightened the police department's interest in the case. This was no longer a missing person case. This seemed to be, at a minimum, some type of continuous robbery. This is where the Boston police really excelled in this investigation, I believe. They dispatched officers to retrieve all of the video at all of the ATMs. But more than that, the other ATMs in those areas that coincided with the banks also had some video and they were able to track Amy's travels throughout the city from ATM to ATM. At a certain point, Amy is caught on video. She's leaning over from the passenger side to the driver's side to access the ATM and there's a masked individual in the driver's seat. And all of these videos would soon be played almost on a loop on all the nightly news. I don't know if it was this evening or the next morning, but the video is crystal clear and the Boston police did an excellent job tracking it throughout the city. One of the most heartbreaking aspects of this case is portions of the video where it seems to be in the Dorchester section of Boston where Amy actually gets out of the passenger side of her vehicle and uses the ATM while standing up, or I'm not sure if she went into the bank branch itself, but she'd exited the vehicle and was fully away from it and could have ran for help, could have just ran away. But it would appear she is so stricken with fear, she decided to try to ride this nightmare out because it would seem at this point that this gentleman, I, I use that word loosely, this man, just wanted money. The entire city of Boston, when they watched this video, was screaming for Amy to run. Run, Amy, please run. But she had to be scared senseless. And she tried to ride this out, got back in, and gave this shitbag the money he demanded. For 47 minutes, Amy was driven around the city of Boston to these various ATMs. I believe at least two of these ATMs, she exited the vehicle and had an opportunity to escape, but she was just too frightened to do so. She was afraid for her life, and rightfully so. The ATM video starts at just about 6 a.m., and that was just the, at the time she was supposed to be on the bus meeting her friend to go to the gym. But the Boston Globe later reported that their sources inside the Boston Police Department said that Amy had been abducted directly from her apartment. I don't know if it was within her apartment itself or in the vestibule. I don't know if this suspect had tried to be buzzed in or accosted her on the way out of the apartment to pick up the bus, but the 
violence started immediately and she was abducted and placed into her own vehicle and she is videotaped around the city withdrawing money for this guy at times she had an opportunity to run and the whole city was just begging her to do so it's just heartbreaking there's a ton of the video on the internet on youtube so if you want to see it feel free to do so but please keep in mind it's heartbreaking to watch and you just cheer for her to run and the video just continues as it normally does so it's it's difficult to watch the suspect during all this had some type of mask over at least the bottom half of his face and the Boston police occupied themselves at least partially with trying to get a clearer picture of him either at the bank ATMs or on surveillance cameras throughout the city, stoplights, other businesses, or whatever. And that was their focus. They kept on looking for Amy, hoping she had been released and maybe forced to walk home. But that wasn't the case. So as the Boston police continued their investigation and, and collected and reviewed all of the video near the ATMs where Amy Lord was forced to withdraw money, a gentleman by the name of Edward Landry, age 60, was taking a bicycle ride at the Stony Brook Reservation in High Park. If you're not familiar with Stony Brook, it's probably a 40-acre public park with ponds, walking trails. It's very well maintained. There's ball fields there, biking paths, etc. So there's different reports on what he was doing, either taking his nightly walk or a bicycle ride through the reservation. But either way, at 421, he called the police stating that he had discovered a dead body within the reservation. He stayed on the scene until the police arrived and he later said that he wasn't going to go back into the scene with them, but would direct them from a distance. He was pretty shaken up. He said he got about 30 feet away and looked down and he could tell exactly what it was. And that's when he called the police. Mr. Landry stated that she was naked and had insects on her body. Mr. Landry stayed with the body and directed the police to where it was, although he couldn't go back again. He has said since that he'll never be the same after seeing it, but I'm sure the police immediately thought this could be Amy because of what had happened with the ATMs and the burning of her vehicle. Amy's family continued to search for Amy along with her boyfriend, Michael Castle, and her friend, Christina Kelleher. They all continued to look for her, but after the body was found, Christina Kelleher had another duty to do, and she was called in to identify some items that were found with the body, her workout equipment, water bottle bag, and all that. And Christina positively identified those items as belonging to Amy Lord, and that must have been totally devastating. I'm sure the police and Miss Kelleher were hoping that, no, no, this was not Amy's stuff not amy's items because if it wasn't it may indicate the fact that that body was not amy's but it was it was amy lord's stuff all right guys well the investigation continued but as tuesday turned into wednesday wednesday july 24th 2013 the body at stony brook reservation was positively identified as being amy lord and 
Her family was absolutely devastated, as were her friends. And now the police commissioner and the mayor were on TV begging people for help because I believe at this point, the Boston police didn't know if they had some type of crazed lunatic on the run or if this was a crime that was a one-of. But they were very concerned and they got all that video that they had obtained through the bank ATMs and surrounding areas out onto the news. And this is where the city really got behind Amy and her family because the story started to emerge that she was kidnapped from her apartment in South Boston and taken to all these ATMs. And as I said before, everybody was just screaming inside their head for Amy to run when she had the opportunity. And it just really struck a chord with Bostonians and others in the state. It was just a horrible case, and the news was going to get worse from here. At 12 a.m. on Wednesday, July 24th, a woman calls the police from Gate Street in South Boston, and she reports that she was punching in a code to her apartment on Gate Street when she was struck from behind. And at this point, the suspect started stabbing her and at one point stated he wasn't there to rob her, he was there to kill her. And the stabbing goes on, and I believe the suspect thought he had killed this woman. But she lived and crawled into her apartment and was transported to Tufts Medical Center for treatment. It was a bloody scene, and the Boston police, I don't believe, immediately connected this to Amy Lord's murder. But at the hospital at Tufts Medical Center, there was a Hispanic male with a massive cut on his hand. And at this point, believe it or not, the suspect was identified as being the person who had just stabbed this woman. And her name is Kaylee Ballantyne, the victim. She lived on Gate Street and, as I just said previously, was stabbed trying to get into her apartment. But the remarkable thing about this section of the story is another patient in Tufts Medical Center was there for a massive gash on his hand, and he was identified as being the assailant from the Gate Street assault. And Edward Alamany, 28, of Boston, was arrested for the stabbing on Gate Street. Police began investigating this Edward Alamany and found that he had over 50 charges on his criminal record. He was arrested for the Gate Street assault so keep in mind, Gate Street, Dorchester Street, and Logan Way are probably all within a four-mile radius of each other. So the Boston police did a good job putting this together and immediately began investigating Edward Alamany as a suspect in Amy Lord's murder. The police were taking their time investigating this case, as you would hope they would. And they did not name Alamany as a person of interest in the Amy Lord case, but he was being held on the Gate Street assault. So that gave them some time to continue their investigation. He was ruled unfit for arraignment in the Gate Street assault and was slated to go to Bridgewater State Hospital for a 20-day inpatient psychiatric evaluation. Okay, I call it Bridgewater State Hospital, but there, there is a prison component to it as well. 
Bridgewater is where the majority of people in Massachusetts go for psychiatric evaluations ordered by the court. So if you deem somewhat unstable, they'll send you there for a 20-day hold where you'll get some treatment and interview with psychiatrists and whatnot. So that's where Edwin Alame was headed. And I believe the Boston police breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief in this case because at least this potential lunatic was off the street and it gave them some time to investigate this in comfort, knowing this crazy person is at least in custody. Okay, so during this time frame, the Boston police come to the conclusion that there was another assault in South Boston that Alamany may be tied to, and that occurred on Tuesday, July 23rd. So it is now believed that Amy was not the only victim and may have been the second in a series of at least three assaults in a three or four mile radius. So the stakes were increasing for Mr. Alame. And just another thing about the Gate Street attack on Kaylee Ballantyne. Miss Ballantyne was on the way to being murdered. She was being stabbed to death. The only intervention was from a neighbor who yelled across the street that they've already called the police and he was on the way out of his building to assist and Alamany runs off. She would have been the first homicide victim, but now we've got three women who've all been likely assaulted by him in this small area. So the Boston police investigation was certainly intensifying. As you can imagine, the city of Boston was on edge with these attacks, and the public was grateful that Mr. Alamany was in custody. And the police commissioner soon named him a person of interest in the Amy Lord murder, and he was certainly suspected in the other two assaults on unsuspecting women in the area. A few weeks later, Alamany was transferred out of Bridgewater State Hospital as he was found to be competent to stand trial in the Commonwealth. And he was ultimately charged with the attempted murder of Kaylee Ballantyne, the assault on Alexandra Cruz. And of course, he was charged with first degree homicide in the brutal murder of Amy Lord. The public's gratitude in this case regarding the fact that this lunatic had been apprehended quickly turned to anger when it was revealed that Edwin Alamany, age 28, had more than 50 charges on his police record. And that was only since 1999. And these crimes that he had committed had been getting progressively worse before this trioka of madness that he committed in 2013. Everything in Edwin Alamany's past was pointing towards violence. And as a society, we're just forced to sit and wait for it. And now we've got a whole group of people who will never be the same, one of which was horribly murdered. And it's just insane. In the next episode, I'm going to go over the trial where Edwin Alamany tries an insanity defense, but it doesn't go anywhere. But I'm also going to get into the other attacks. And there was one that predated this. And it made all of it just that much more infuriating. Edwin Alamany had committed a similar attack in a different neighborhood in Boston where he had left his wallet on the victim. And by all accounts, he should have been arrested for that crime and would have been incarcerated 
during this streak of madness. So none of this need happen at all. And in the next episode, I'll get into Edward Alamany's record, this previous crime where he should have been incarcerated. None of these people should have been terrorized by him. I know this one shook you up a bit, right? But the next one's going to infuriate you. It simply will. I'm going to leave you here. If you want to get a hold of me, email me at barry at bostonconfidential.net. Otherwise, I'm going to leave you here, guys, and I'm going to finish this episode on the Amy Lord tragedy next week for episode two. Take care. Have some fun this weekend, and I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay.